Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for that warm uh, affirmation there. We're really grateful and appreciate that deeply. Uh, I want to. We see several new families here who have uh, uh, are coming, uh, if not for the first time and for the first couple of weeks. We want to warmly welcome you on behalf of the church. Uh, delighted you're here, and we sense uh, we think that you'll find a uh, very warm uh, group of people here that it's easy to get to know and connect with. And I have to put in a plug, even though we're uh, soon leaving, uh, for the newcomers lunch. Uh, on September 25th, uh, there will be a lunch for all of you newcomers uh, that will, it's a really fun time for the, the people who are just arriving into Beijing or if you've not attended one of these before, free meal uh, at lunch right after church, good food, a chance to connect with some new people that have just arrived and also to meet the staff and the board and ask any questions that you might have. Uh, as many of you know, one of the more popular Christian writers in the world during the past uh, 20 years is a guy named Philip Yancey. Uh, about 14 million of his books uh, have been sold. And one of his books with the most provocative title uh, is his book, Church, uh, Why Bother? Uh, in the book, uh, Yancey describes his church background. And he says... I grew up in the southern U.S. in an extremely conservative group of Christian churches. They had strengths, uh, but also a number of weaknesses. As I entered my 20s, I left the faith for a time. The harshness of my church, the lack of humility, of the sense of mystery, stunted my faith for many years. Christianity, as I understood it, kept me from Christ, and I spent the rest of my life climbing back toward faith and church. Now, we know that Yancey's experience is not necessarily all that unusual. Uh, studies reveal that the percentage of people attending church on any routine basis in Western countries is not particularly high. Only about 15% of the French, 10% uh, of the people in the UK, 10% uh, of Canadians, 26% uh, of Americans, and 7% uh, of Aussies attend uh, church regularly. The statistics on Asian churches are not as readily available, uh, but it's probably not much higher. Uh, and despite low church attendance relative to the population in so many countries, a majority of people in surveys uh, describe a genuine desire for God. They desire to discover God, to encounter God, to know God. So given the fact that the organized church uh, uh, so many people describe a desire, a passion for some connection with God, uh, it's possible that the organized Christian church may not always do a good job at helping people find him. But the New Testament, uh, it provides us an extraordinary description of what God desires uh, churches to be. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 20 and following, the Apostle Paul says, We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
part of a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And uh, in the first letter of Peter, the apostle Peter uh, uses this same analogy, and he says, God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple so you can show others the goodness of God. So what both authors are doing is they are drawing an analogy between the Old Testament temple, uh, which we read about in the Old Testament, and which God visited the people in some very extraordinary and exceptional ways. He made himself known powerfully through his spirit at times in the uh, temple of the Old Testament. So Paul and Peter are arguing that there are no more bricks and mortar like the temple of Jerusalem, but God has gone global. And all of those people who have recognized the beauty of Christ, they have seen his uniqueness, his extraordinary identity, that in fact he is the only begotten of God who has come among us to reveal God in a way that he had never been revealed before and has not been revealed since. And all those who recognize that identity and who believe in him and accept that and accept his gift of forgiveness and grace uh, become a community through which God can make himself known in some really exceptional ways in a life-changing way in the communities where churches are gathered. It's an incredible uh, privilege, and it's an awesome responsibility. Uh, last Sunday and this morning uh, will be uh, my last time teaching in Capital Community, uh, certainly for the coming school year and quite possibly for a long time to come. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I've been in vocational Christian ministry for 36 years, and uh, uh, my vocational life is unfolded in sections almost exactly nine years. About every nine years, God has directed uh, me and then us as a couple from one goal uh, to a new and a very different uh, kind of goal. Uh, we've led uh, Capital Community for 10 years, and over the last couple of years, I've had a growing conviction that God may be moving us on uh, to a new goal. Uh, during this past spring, the conviction became so strong that I uh, approached the elders and felt compelled to tell them that we needed to make some changes. So we turned the board and the pastoral leadership over, and uh, Iris and I began making plans to take a one-year uh, sabbatical. Uh, this summer, we will have been in, in China for 20 years uh, with no real extended break uh, during that time, although we've certainly been back for several weeks at a time. And so we're going to take this uh, fall to care for Iris's terminally ill dad. Uh, and then in the spring, we're going to do some study and uh, seek to discern uh, God's direction for our future. We have some uh, new ideas, some fresh ideas that we're becoming real enthusiastic about. But we're going to pray and get counsel and, and see uh, where God leads us. 
we'd be delighted to come back to Beijing uh, if we sense God's leading, but because of some developing ideas uh, and the ways that God has led us in the past, um, that may not happen. But we will be here, I will be here the next two Sundays, just being a part of you all and enjoying the fellowship and before I leave on September 26th. And Iris will speak at a couple of women's meetings the first week of September and then lead on, leave on September 7. Uh, last Sunday, we described Capital Community's strategic location. Uh, Beijing is a crossroads city of the world. Much like Ephesus or Corinth or Rome of the ancient world, uh, Beijing is a place where people from all over the earth uh, come for business or diplomatic purposes, educational purposes, uh, and so on. And uh, it's a very strategic place. There are six English-speaking international schools within about five minutes of our congregation here with over 5,000 students from some 130 countries. So it's a gathering of people from around the world uh, and Capital Community's uh, mission from the beginning, and I know it will continue, is to do our very best uh, to represent Jesus Christ well uh, in this strategic uh, crossroads uh, community of the world. Um, our enthusiasm about uh, CCC's vision and mission will never change even if, uh, it, as it seems, our relationship to it uh, in the years to come does. Uh, we wanted to share together, just real briefly, um, just a couple of values that we uh, believe are, are characteristic of healthy churches uh, worldwide uh, and that we have done our best along with the board and the staff to instill in our church uh, here and so uh, Iris is going to first uh, share, and then we'll just move through several ideas and pray together. Uh, one of the things that when we were sitting in a living room kind of talking about what it would look like if we started a church, I remember Tom said, uh, I don't know what we could call it, but I, I want community to be in the name because I want this, one of the, the main characteristics and values is that this is a community and, and like a family. And I really have seen that. We, we keep coming back to that when, when, we, when things are hard or, or there's conflict or whatever, we always come back to that. And I think it's been a core value. Um, it's so important in a community like this, we're all coming from a different country. We're all coming from different um, kinds of denominations. Some of us in this room are conservative and some are liberal and some uh, some have been come from very formal churches and some very casual churches. Um, some of you come from churches that when the spirit moves, you get louder. And some of you come from churches where the spirit moves, everything gets very quiet. And so when we all come together, we all kind of have to adjust, you know, because this isn't exactly like what we've come from. But it's so rich. And one of the things I've learned, you know, when... When I first encountered a person who was very different from me and from a church very different from mine, at first I would think, oh, wow, they're different. But then I started to say, well, you know, tell me why, you know, tell me why this is important to you. And, and I feel like I've really grown. And, you know, some of my convictions have strengthened. Others have, you know, I thought, you know, I get, I, I get what, they, what they're saying, you know, and I've kind of 
grown, and I think my perspective has become so much more rich in, uh, because of that. I think th one of the reasons we, we would hope that community and love and grace would be a value is because um, the church is important to, was important to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus said, um, I give you a new command, love one another. And he said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Um, and that, he also wrote in 1 John, and he said, um, you know, the, the famous passage, um, let us love one another for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Um, but later on in verse 12, it says, you know, no one has ever seen God with their eyes. No one has ever seen God, but if you love one another, God's love will, will be revealed in you and will, God's love will live in you and will be made manifest or complete in you. So in other words, to say nobody's ever really seen God's face physically, but if you love one another well, they will see God. And I tell you, there have been moments in this church where I have seen God. <laughs> I have seen, and, and when, you know, I told Tom I, I wanted to talk about truth and grace together. I think Tom's going to talk a little bit about truth. You know, I think we're a good team because um, Tom loves truth. And, you know, I, he, well, he, we both love truth and grace and both believe in that. But he leans more toward truth, and I lean more toward grace. And um, so we've we've all we've helped each other along the way in the years. tug of war at times, tug, right? Sometimes the tug of war, but um, but we've helped each other. But I think it's a good uh, combination. Um, but I do I do believe that when we can develop the kind of friendships where we have we give truth, we don't compromise on truth. But we give grace, and we never compromise on grace. And if you, that is an art and a skill, and it takes years to learn. And I would encourage you to keep practicing and keep learning. Um, but when you can do that, there is power, and people's lives are changed by that and transformed and healed. And I, ha I have witnessed that over and over again. So I, uh, we, you know, we don't have a long time to talk about it, but I really encourage you to, to learn that. Um. Grace and truth, you know, John, as he introduces Jesus Christ and his gospel in the first um, chapter of the gospel of John, he says, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ was a perfect balance of, and of a person who had the capability on the one hand of speaking the truth of communicating the wisdom from above and doing so sometimes in ways that we would be fearful of doing. I mean, he had no fear of engaging in controversy where the, the uh, truth was at stake. On the other hand, he communicated love and grace to a group of men that so electrified them, so changed them, that they together, along with the developing movement, has changed uh, the direction of Western civilization and now uh, impacts the world. Uh, so truth and grace uh, would be one thing. The second thing would be to continue uh, to do our best uh, to communicate the good news in this strategic uh, place. Seventy-seven times in the New Testament, uh, the writers use the Greek word euangelion to describe the teaching of the New Testament. 
It's news that brings joy and gladness to the hearts of those uh, who receive it. And the good news simply is that as uh, so many of you uh, are uh, so utterly convinced of that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, so that whomsoever believes uh, shall not perish but shall have eternal life. And uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the result of sin is death, but the free gift uh, of God is eternal life in Christ. Free. Free. As we understand who Jesus Christ is and believe in him, we are granted the free and unconditional grace of eternal acceptance with God. We are embraced by him in his loving uh, arms. We are forgiven. We are placed in a position of great privilege in his family now and for eternity. And that is good news. Uh, I've never been much of of an evangelist. I'm I'm more of an introvert than I am kind of an extroverted kind of a guy. And so uh, we, because of my limitations of my particular leadership, we've probably not uh, done the best job at getting the good news out in this community. But I will continue to pray that uh, God will mobilize people and people who are energized by this astonishing truth to get the message out, the good news out in this strategic place. Can I share one thing about that? Um, last week I shared a story. I want, I'll share it briefly again because I want to tell you the result of it. But um, one story that I said was in my top ten moments at Capital Community, but Tom had preached about this, about forgiveness. And um, I was in a small group, and one of the ladies there, um, Tom had mentioned the verse, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So she came, she asked permission. This was not a requirement of the group. She, asked, she said, can I share, I would like to confess something that I've never told anyone. And she had typed it out on a piece of paper. Actually, I called her this last week, and I said, I told your story. And she said, I'm so happy. She said, it was a, my top ten moment, too. She said, I'm so happy you shared at Capitol. But she, she read to us her, conve- her confession of a story she had never told anyone in her life. She was trembling. She was holding the paper, looking down and reading it. And there were about six or eight women in the room. Uh, when she lifted up her eyes, you know, she doesn't know if she's going to get condemnation or judgment. She, she looks up, and there's tears in everyone's eyes. And everyone is looking at her with love and compassion. And then each one of those women gave her love in a different form. You know, some people read her a verse, and some people hugged her, and some people said, oh, I'm so sorry. Other people gave her wisdom, and it was just so beautiful. It was, a, it was holy ground, and one of the ladies said, this is the most courageous, the most spectacular thing I've ever witnessed in my life. It was so beautiful. But the real miracle happened later when... Uh, a couple of weeks later, when the, this friend is sitting right in the back, and she, th- we were in a larger group of women, and the woman who had shared the confession was answering, somebody had asked a question, she was answering a question, and uh, she leaned over to me, and she said, is it just me, or is she shining? And I said, she's absolutely radiant. You know, we went up to her later, and we said, you, it's amazing, you, you, you look so beautiful, and she said, I have never known what it feels like to, to live like a woman who's loved and forgiven. 
she said, people have loved me, but I always felt like, well, they love me, but they don't know everything. And she said, but I shared everything, and you guys still loved me. And it, it changed her. She began to blossom and bloom, and we watched that, and the way it changed her marriage and her family. That, that news, that good news of forgiveness and love, to learn to live like a person who's loved, if you can learn to live like that, it, it changes you. Yeah, and that story is one in, in which the good news moves just from an intellectual or, you know, a cognitive recognition into the heart. Because if the good news penetrates us, our hearts, our emotions, beyond our mind, it, it's, it's life-changing. We will be changed if we taste just a little bit of the loving, genuine loving grace of Jesus Christ. Briefly, a couple of other things, you know, effective children's and teen programs. Uh, the first staff that we hired uh, uh, nine years ago was a, a, a youth pastor, wonderful uh, young man that God had moved to Beijing. Uh, we scrambled because we, the church was small at the time, and so we mobilized to uh, hi, be able to provide for his uh, support and housing. And he had the most strategic influence in this community and these high schools around here for eight years before then Joe uh, Jackson who is now our, our youth pastor. He was our worship pastor, and then he moved over to the teens, and, and Joe has taken it to new heights. It's grown and developed. And we have this uh, last, a year ago, this past spring, a, a wonderful couple volunteered, uh, unsolicited, 25,000 U.S. to convert this old, empty, nasty warehouse um, in the bottom of this, the floor, this section on the other side of the building, lower floor, into this beautiful teen center. So... It's so vital uh, uh, to create a fun, inviting, dynamic uh, teen program in which our teens in these very delicate period of their lives, when they are making really key and important decisions about their direction, about their sexuality, about their relationships, about their education, and so on, to have a group of, of people, a, a group of fellow students, well-led by uh, staff as well as other um, parents in the congregation so that they can see the truth illustrated and can help them navigate through some sometimes very, very complicated uh, period of life. And the children, um, we have tried to invest a lot of your offerings in the last uh, two or three years in outfitting the children's uh, area downstairs. And, of course, for the children, it's not so much about the teaching, although as they age, of course, it's more about the teaching, but it's about uh, creating an environment where, even though they may not understand it intellectually, they can experience the love of Christ being displayed through the teachers. In about a week or two, they're going to need uh, uh, probably about 100 as more people start coming back from holiday. You know, some of the schools don't open until later this month. Um, uh, there's, we're, you, the capital will need about 100 children's volunteers uh, to volunteer for two consecutive weeks, and then they're off for four and then two consecutive weeks just to manage the number of kids. On average, there's about 135 uh, children on week, uh, each week down there when the semester really gets going, over 100 teens, and that requires a lot of uh, collaboration. So if you sense uh, direction and leading and uh, interest in doing that, by all means, 
uh, sign up because it's important. And then Christ-centered, why don't you? Yeah, one of the, the values um, that we talked about in those early days when we're discussing the church is that, you know, besides love and grace and an authentic community, I'm going to say I don't have time to really talk about being authentic, but one one thing people comment that they're surprised about Tom and me is we tend to be pretty honest and we, we share our weaknesses and uh, share our struggles. There, there's, you know, no perfect staff member. There's no perfect church member, um, but we all need Jesus, and that, that's what draws us together. But th- the point that I wanted to make was that the church must be Christ-centered. Um, Jesus, it, when he is lifted up, everything makes sense. Um, when we have conflicts with one another, but we are linked arms and following him, it'll be okay. Um, when, you know, we, we have different visions or whatever, but we're all looking to Jesus, it'll be, when he is lifted up, he, if you're new, per, you know, new, and you, you, all of this talk about the church, it, it doesn't mean that much to you if you are, if this is the, one of the first times you've ever come to a church, but there is a living, breathing being that's, you know, unseen behind the universe. He's the most magnificent thing. Don't miss him. Don't go through life and, you know, and miss him. And when we were captivated by his beauty and his magnificence and his heart for us, when we get a taste of that and we share what we're experiencing with each other, there's power in that. Um, There's something really special. And so I guess that would be the last word I would want to leave with you is just to make sure that Jesus is the center of everything. And if that's true, it, it, it'll be okay. <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be more than okay. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. We've run out of time, but, um, of course, we don't have time to recognize the hundreds of people uh, that have followed, uh, been responsive to God's direction uh, and his guidance to collaborate in the community that's developed here over the last uh, 10 years. But just very briefly, uh, we, I don't think the church could have succeeded without my extraordinary wife. Uh, she, um, she, uh, you know, as, as Ralph said, uh, she has literally done everything from change diapers uh, to teach women's groups and, and uh, provide counsel and all, all kinds. Uh, I'd have to say, uh, I'm, I'm sorry Robin Hill isn't here today, uh, but Robin and Joyce Hill... Uh, are the founders of Hope Foster Homes. They care for 350 uh, uh, often very ill uh, Chinese orphans in six facilities around the country. Uh, The place could not possibly have evolved and developed without uh, Robin Hill. He has been incredibly devoted to this community and given countless hours uh, in addition to serving the orphans, to uh, the, the facilities, to leading the worship team, guiding in so many ways. Rick Lehman, who you saw uh, a few moments ago, I don't think the church might have not even begun and certainly wouldn't have survived without his prayers. Uh, I've never known anybody quite like Rick uh, who spends the kind of focused time engaging in prayer with our Lord and uh, praying his blessings down. Uh, I probably, I may not well not have survived more than a couple of years had it not been for Rick's uh, 
uh, prayers and his counsel. He has been a pastoral ministry, uh, uh, absolutely key and strategic person in providing pastoral ministry and counseling for couples, for men, and for so many Christian leaders in Beijing. John uh, Gates uh, is a wonderful elder who has uh, focused our church in, in giving a significant 10% at least of our offerings to uh, needy projects in China and around the world. Uh, Mark Schleif uh, is an uh, elder in waiting, I guess they said. <laughs> I, think, I think he's all on board here. Um, but uh, he has, and Angie have contributed so much. I mean, Mark is quietly but very effectively has worked behind the scenes to make this thing work uh, every week for five-plus years. Uh, I'd have to say James and Joanne Chin, uh, as well as Stephen and Rosie Yo. Uh, Stephen has served as an elder, and we're trying to persuade James to uh, join the elder board as well. Uh, he, James was our MC this morning. Uh, Joanne has been a strategic person and giving birth to a group of, a women's group of over 100 uh, Chinese, particularly returning Chinese women that meet in Bible study every week. If you, if for those of you who are interested in a Mandarin uh, Bible study, if you'd like, just, just stand up for a second, Joanne. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Both of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there, I, I, you know, I shared last week my top 10 moments at Capitol, and I have to say, being at James, when James was baptized was pretty cool. That was, that was, had to be one of my top 10 moments, and he really bragged on his wife and her role in bringing him to a relationship with Christ, but yeah, that's a whole other story, but a great one. I am absolutely convinced that Ralph uh, is the right person to assume the pastoral leadership role of our church. Uh, he, um, you have no idea how much he and Melinda have contributed uh, in the past three and a half years. I've never known a couple to, to come and become more immediately engaged and to make the contributions that they have made. As Rick said, Ralph has 25 years of, of uh, ministry experience, uh, a lot of it vocational Christian ministry experience. He was a part of the staff and pastoral leadership of the Church of 5,000 in Florida. So he's well capable and able to uh, provide pastoral leadership for our church. And we have a fine staff team. Over the years, God has pulled together this extraordinary team, particularly for a place like Beijing where it's difficult to uh, identify staff who are going to be here for a while. But a fine team, uh, Joe and Tanya and Sarah and Serena and uh, so, uh, just Mabel and so, you know, so, so many. We just wanted to close with this verse. It's a paraphrase of Philippians chapter 1. Um, this is not the exact words, but it expresses our, our hearts uh, for you all. We thank God every time we think of you. We pray with joy for you because of our collaboration together in this work. We're confident that he who began maturing you will continue his work in you in the days to come. We have you in our hearts and have a deep affection for you. We pray that your love for God and each other grows as your wisdom and discernment deepens. May we all be sincere and blameless for the rest of our lives. 
Lord, we do thank you for this body. We know that when you look down, you're so pleased. You so love to see your children gathered together and talking about you. Um, I just pray that your spirit would be poured out in this place. I pray that people's marriages would be strengthened and their children and their families strengthened. I pray um, for uh, men and women in their jobs and their careers that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions they have to make. I pray that you would build our character so that we're more like you. I just pray that you would continue to pour out truth and grace so that this is a, tr a community that reflects you and that when people are here, they will get a glimpse of you. I pray that you would do that, Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like the elders to, to come forward who are here, still in the service, and Mark.